Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. John 14, 16 says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. That word another is alas. Comes that Strong's Concordance number 243. The word shows similarities but diversities of operation and ministries. Jesus uses the word alas for sending another comforter. Equal, one besides me, and in addition to me, but one just like me. In verse 17, it says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but he knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's what Pentecost is all about. See, the Old Testament, all the times that the Holy Spirit removed upon someone, it came upon them but it never indwelt them. But Pentecost is changing all of that. And Jesus even makes mention of that there. The the promise is quite straightforward. Next slide, please. The promise is quite straightforward. Jesus gave it. His last words to the disciples when he was declared but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. That word translates as dunamis, translates dynamite. Now they need to hear this. You see, this is just, as we're coming into Pentecost, After the resurrection, these disciples were hiding out. They were afraid. They they locked themselves in a room. They latched the gates. They made sure they were as quiet as they could be. Because they were thinking, well, we saw what they did to Jesus. And if they did that to Jesus, what might they do for his followers? And so he was, they were hiding out. They needed to hear this. Jesus didn't want them to be hiding out, locked up in a way. He wanted them to blow things up. He wanted them to stir things up. You'll receive power. That's that same word dunamis we use for the word dynamite. How many remember J.J. Walker with his dynamite, huh? And the reverse of this is true. If they don't receive power, you will not have the ability to be witnesses in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or to the ends of the world because there would be powerless. Oh, the move of the Holy Spirit, how much we need him. Next slide, please. Matthew 3, 13 through 14. Then Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. 
and he tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me. Talking about John the Baptist. He was baptizing and preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. And here Jesus shows up and says, John, I want you to baptize me. John, no. You need to be baptizing me. You're perfect. I'm not. I'm the one that needs to be baptized. So he says, why are you coming to me? John's question arises the apparent incongruity of an inferior baptizing his superior. He knew that Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. But you know why he did it? Because he came in human form. He came as us. And he was teaching us that we need to have our lives changed by the power of God and to be baptized. Next slide, please. Matthew 3.15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this needs to be done. This needs to be done even though I'm already righteous, but it needs to be done so that they'll be able to understand what, he's, what it's coming and what he's done and what will, will be coming for them. So he said, then he allowed him. He did it. He baptized him. Now, verse 16 says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Wow, what a, what a picture to see. This idea, he's being baptized. And there's a portal, the sky opened, a portal. The Shekinah glory of God showed up. And the heavens were opened to him. This portal opened and he saw heaven. He saw what transpired. Can you imagine being standing there? I wonder if they got to see it too. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. You know, in the Old Testament, doves were used. Doves were used for sacrifice. We don't think of that. The Spirit anointed Jesus for his ministry. The dove symbolized gentleness, innocence, and meekness, and it was offered in sacrifice. Find that in Leviticus 12.6 and 14.22. The gentle, innocent, and meek Jesus would be a sacrifice for sin. And also, the symbolizing of the Holy, that dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And the same thing applies. Jesus doesn't need the Holy Spirit. He is part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. They indwell, they mutually indwell one another. You can't separate them. You see, when you came to Jesus Christ, whether you realized it or not, you not only got Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit, you got God the Father. Huh? You can't take them apart. We like to, some like to pull them apart and say, well, you see this one now, but you'll get this one later. It don't work like that. 
These three are one, one in essence. Three person, but one in essence. The one that stepped into that water of the Jordan River who receives the Spirit for us and as us then goes to the cross and pays our sin debt so at Pentecost he can give that Spirit to us so we can be caught up in his divine nature and share that life with him. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about. We got some reading to do. In fact, I'm going to get a drink of water before we start this. Look, we're doing some reading. I'm talking on a little bit of it, but Acts one. I started. Was going to start at two, but I'm going to start at one. The former account I made, O Theophilus. There's two ways you can look at that: loved by God or lover of God. They both translate that way. So not only was this written to somebody, and, which, which, and I don't want to get off on a, too much of a tangent here, but the book of Acts isn't a separate book. Luke-Acts is, is a two-volume set. Okay, We don't see it that way because when they put our Bible together, they put John between them. Okay, went Luke, John, and then Acts. Okay, If I had my way, I'd put John before Matthew. Because it represents and parallels and runs alongside uh, creation. In the beginning, God created. John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It parallels creation. So it could go John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts. And Luke, Acts would be together like they should be. It's a two-set book. Okay, enough of that. Okay, so Jesus both began to do and teach. Notice, this is an account of what both Jesus began to do and teach. It's the beginning of ministry. And you know what? He's still doing and he's still teaching. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, and his suffering by many, and many infallible proofs being seen by them during the 40 days, and speak of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I'm going to stop here for a second. There's a lot there. The disciples, you remember on Resurrection Sunday that Jesus showed up when they were all locked up in the upper, they were all locked away, and Jesus showed up and appeared to them. And you, they, they had mixed feelings. They rejoiced in it, but they were also confused by it. We had this thing locked up tight. How did you just walk in here? Aren't you glad that even when we try to lock ourselves away, Jesus knows exactly where we are? Huh? You did the same with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. God knew exactly where they were. Even they called out and said, where art thou? He knew exactly where they were. He wanted them to respond to him. And so, 
is saying that as he started this, he, he's going to soon be taken up. You see, there's something that's transpiring here that Luke is writing in his account that you don't get anywhere else. And he talks about the 40 days. From resurrection to ascension. 40-day space. That space, as we look at that, is luminary. And that's not a word we use. But we do understand it. It's in our language. We see it in the word preliminary, that luminary space. And here he's telling us what it is from resurrection to ascension, a 40-day space. And so we see it in preliminary. We see that we're in the word in eliminate. And the reason why he's doing this, he's paid the sin debt. He's resurrected. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is soon going to ascend to heaven, and he's going to sit down at the right hand of God the Father and begin to rule and reign. But he wanted to teach his church a few things. He wanted to teach his apostles a few things because they had it messed up. Look at where to take Peter. Jesus appeared to him. He knew it was him. But he looked different. He didn't look the same. We're going to get into that. But Jesus did not come back with the same facial features as he had when he left. Why is he doing this? He don't look right. Because the Lord Jesus has a 40-day window to get them to quit trying to follow him by sight and begin to learn to follow him by the Spirit, which is going to soon be within them, and he, they're, going to, they're getting confused. How confused did he get? Oh, I don't know. I don't like this Jesus that pops in here. I'm here now, and then boom, he pops, and now he's gone. They're confused by this. And so... Peter takes himself and six others from that group and says, I'm going back to fishing. This is even after he saw the Lord in his resurrection. I don't like this. I'm here now and now I'm gone. This ain't the Lord I was following. I want to see him. See, we're too much like that, aren't we? We don't like change. We like to think, oh, I would have changed. Sure, right. Most of the times when we say when God's bringing change to our lives, we dig our heels in, and he's got to drag us to the future. That's how we act most of the time. Come on now. And yet, there they is. They all went fishing. And Jesus is going to teach them a great lesson in this. And they didn't catch a thing. All night long fishing. The next morning... Jesus is on the shore in another form, don't look like he did before, and he's cooking breakfast. He said, children, did you get any meat? No, did not. When you take those nets and you cast them on the right side of the boat, 
and they had a load of fish they couldn't even barely pull out of the nets. Now John, his beloved, began because he didn't look like Jesus. And Jesus is doing that intentionally because he doesn't want them to keep trying to follow by sight. He don't want to see the flesh. But John understood that's Jesus. And he says, that's Jesus. And this Peter, they went, ran away and said, I'm going back to fishing. I don't like how things are changing. When John, the beloved, said, that's Jesus, Peter's in the water swimming to the shore. And Jesus could have told him, why are you guys going back to what I called you from? He didn't do anything like that. They had breakfast. But in doing so, Peter learned a lesson and understood. See, once you come to Jesus, there's no going back. You think there is. We used to call that backsliding. Huh? You don't hear that word much anymore, huh? They slid back. He went back to fishing. Peter backslid. And there he is trying to deal with all this stuff. But in the message that he got, even if you try to go back to do the things where you're going to do, they're not easy. And the reality is you can't even go fishing without me. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. That's right. huh? And as even reflected that the fishing. Without me, you can do nothing. But when they listened and did what he wanted them to do, they had a load of fish. Great message in that. So, in this luminal space between resurrection and ascension, it's a time of transition. You see that throughout all the, in the Bible. There's a time of transition, a time of turmoil at times. Huh? Noah and the ark, huh? 40 days and 40 nights. Moses went to the mountain of God 40 days and got the Ten Commandments. This is all through the Bible. And Luke's writing this to us that we'd understand. That he's, showed, he's teaching them things. They're seeing things. This many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, they have their own ideas of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. And the king himself is standing there before of teaching them what the kingdom should be. Verse 4, Acts 1 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice, it's the same thing I talked about when we talked about Palm Sunday. They're having Palm Sunday, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And we, and we think of that as praise. But they were crying out to God, God, save us now, save us now. They wanted to be delivered from Rome. They believe when Messiah comes, he's going to deliver them from Rome. They had this all taught out. They have their own timeline of things. And, and all that Jesus is teaching them, and they're getting hung up on this one thing. Are you going to overthrow Rome and set up to the kingdom now? I find that amazing. 
But don't think that we're not much like that ourselves. I think we do with all of our timelines and charts and all the things that we do. We're just the same way, huh? Yeah? Come on now. And so, see, they wanted a political kingdom. They wanted to, be, to set up the kingdom. But that's not what he was calling them to do. Not yet. And that kingdom's coming one day. But just not yet. Verse 7 says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Listen to that, church, because we can be just as guilty of the same exact thing. He's given us a charge. He's given us something to do. And we, we try to find reasons to do anything but that. Verse 8. But what I already read before, I'm going to read it again. But you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, the promise of power, you shall receive power. That was exciting to a culture of people that didn't have any power. Hmm? But that power that's going to come to uh, the Holy Spirit when it comes, when it's Pentecost and the time is there, it's going to change everything. The promise of power is a manifestation of the Spirit. The disciples that Jesus will not be abandoned. They're not orphans. They're not abandoned, but that's how they felt. So when Jesus was not with them and he, they couldn't see him, they felt like he wasn't with them. But he was. They just didn't realize and understand that totally yet. And you shall be witnesses to me and to the ends of the earth. That's what he's called us to do. That same, the church from that day on Pentecost to, to now has the same command. We've been commissioned or commissioned, if you would, to carry out that which King Jesus wants us to do. He sits today at the right hand of God the Father as King and Lord of Lords. And the Bible makes it very clear he's going to be sitting there, he's going to dwell there till all the kingdoms of this earth are put under his feet. But he's in total control. And so, verse 9 says, And now when he has spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Again, I think that cloud's the Shekinah glory of God. There was a portal that opened up. He went up into the, in, in through that portal, and it closed back, and he was gone. And while they stood, they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And verse 12 says, And they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, because they're going to stay there like Jesus told them to, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. We'd say about three quarters of a mile. Verse 13 says, And when they had entered, they went up into that room where they were staying, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, 
Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. And there they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. You know, we live in a time and so many Christians are caught up in this and they shouldn't be. This isn't the time to be a lone ranger in Christianity. And all that we see and all that's happening and all that's happening about us and all what's going on in our nation, we need to be a people that bind together in prayer and pray till the power comes. Because that same message of transforming the community and all the, 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 the neighborhood and the, and the state and the nation and, and to the ends of the earth still applies. You say, well, that was for them. No, it's for all of us. That's for every last one of us. Well, we got through the first 14. 2, 1 through 21. There's a lot here, but I'm only going to stop it to talk about certain things. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. This was the Feast of Harvest was over, okay? We saw the Feast of Weeks was called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest. The barley is all in. The difference going on here, what you see at Pentecost, is that when it started off when, the, when Resurrection Sunday is the beginning of barley was brought, and they had this service in, in the temple, and then all this time has transpired, 40, uh, 50 days has gone by, and then the, the, har the grain harvest is in, but that's not what's going to happen at Pentecost for the God's people, the believers. Pentecost is the beginning of changed lives. It isn't the end of it where they're there. It's the beginning of this thing. And so they fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there was a there came a sound from heaven and a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there were appeared to them uh, divided tongues as a fire, and, some, and, and one sat upon each of, of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're talking about other tongues. It's other languages. It's languages they didn't know, but they began to speak in them. Too many of us try to turn that into something else, and it's not. Those other tongues were known tongues of the day, and yet they began to speak, and they had no idea what they were saying, but the Holy Spirit did and spoke to the body that was theirs. Because, see, at Pentecost, it was one of the times of the year that if they needed to be there in Jerusalem, and there was people all over the world, Jews from all over the world was in this place. This just didn't happen by accident on that day. And so, and the crowd's response, and there was, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You think that's by chance that God did this? No. 
And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone, two things was happening. They, there was a going on in speech. They were speaking languages they didn't even know, which is miraculous. But notice what I'm going to read now. And when they, in verse 6, it says, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. I believe there was a miracle of speaking and there was a miracle of hearing going on there. Then they were all amazed and, oh, and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? But they're saying, aren't these all uneducated people? How are they doing this? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Camphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So we were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? There were those that were mocking and said, they're just full of new wine. Now notice, we're going to get a glimpse here. Peter, that so struggled with all of this, once the Holy Spirit has come upon him and he's received power to speak, he isn't running away to go fishing anymore. And he begins to quote the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 27 through 32. And he says this, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Notice if they're in the last days, where does that put us? And it came to pass that in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven and above, and the times in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. How many of you know that we have blood moons a lot more than we've ever had before? It's telling us something. So... Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm supposed to end there, but I'm going to read a couple more. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to, 
to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves also know. In other words, this wasn't done in secret. You all know what Jesus did. You all saw what he did. You saw what he was doing in people's life. And it's, then it goes on and says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosened the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And that's a hallelujah moment. And you're talking about someone on fire. He was preaching it, wasn't he? He wasn't hiding out in a room, worried about it for making too much noise. Huh? That Holy Spirit that God wanted to stir up, God stirred it up, and now they're out in the street. And notice what happened. Some of the people who heard Peter... Next slide, please. Some of the people who heard Peter that day of Pentecost were, according to Luke, cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Acts 2.37. Next slide, please. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. Not only did they receive Christ that day, like the 120 in the upper room that the Holy Spirit sat upon, there was all of these now that had come to Christ, and now they also had been touched by the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It started then... See, not too many of to understand this or to know this. Pentecost was the birthday of the church. The church has been born. The church has been the figure of power. It's our birthday. And it's still going on. And lives are still being changed. I thought of this last thing. Who was the little boy that got baptized? Aaron. That was so moving. He now lives in Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Yeah, he lives in Pennsylvania. And I don't know why they were out here for, but he's from this church, and he wanted to be baptized here. And, of course, I was studying for all this, and I'm thinking, the Lord's still changing. Huh? He's still delivering. Powerful stuff. Next slide. What was the result of this preaching? Luke writes this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Notice, can you imagine how long it takes to do a baptismal of 3,000? Huh? That'd be a good day though, wouldn't it? Uh, you talk about having church, that would be a good day. It's Eastern Orthodox Church, I don't know if you know this or not, they don't use the word Pentecost like we do, because they, they, they think of it this, they, they, and what's not necessarily bad, because they, when they do baptisms, they, they dress in robes of white, and so they just assume that they did the same thing there, and so they call that Sunday White Sunday. Why? Because there's 3,000 of them in white robes, and every one of them are getting baptized. I thought that was pretty cool. So you ever hear the term White Sunday? It's talking about Pentecost. 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a hallelujah moment. The church is born. The church is on fire. And the Lord added to their numbers daily who were being saved. And he still is. All these years later, he still is. 
there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day that when the last person that's been destined for the kingdom says the prayer of faith and accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no reason to keep it going. When that day, when that prayer is prayed, uh-oh, when that prayer is prayed, it will be all over. Powerful stuff. You see, and I want to, before, the, leave it here for a second, before we go to this last slide. I, I'm going to shut up. We're going to close. And I want you to understand, I'm trying to drive a point home. And, we, and I touched on it earlier, and I'll say it again. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one Godhead. We sing a song, the doxology, we don't do that very often, we haven't done it, but the doxology, and it says, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. You see, God came in human form, and in the crucifixion, God died for the sins of the world, God the Son, and in the resurrection, God triumphed over sin and death. Even so, in Pentecost, God empowers you and me and his church to live to his glory and to do his work until he comes again. That's what we're here for. Huh? To go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's still our call. That's what he's called us to do. And I'm going to close... And this be a closing prayer. It's a little song back in the day we used to sing. But I want it to be a closing prayer and I want you to think about what I'm saying. And it says this. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.